Well, good morning. I want to begin this morning with a portion from a well-known poem. I think you might recognize it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. The Genesis poem gives us a literal account of how God began his creation process, and he began in a garden. Over and over, the, the poem has these familiar refrains that maybe you recognize as poetry in, in English, maybe not, but you see the same things over and over again. And God said, and God saw that it was good, and there was evening and morning, the first day, the second day, the third day. But this is more than just an account of how God created the earth and began in the garden. Rather, the writer and the Holy Spirit of God are trying to teach us something very specific about God from his creation. In verse 2, the poem starts out with the words formless and empty. Now, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around what may have been or not have been as God was creating the earth. But these words, formless and empty, are communicating something to us because they would be also translated great confusion. And so the writer is letting us know that God is stepping into a place of great disorder, of great confusion, and God creates order from the chaos. You see, some of us have this picture of God that things are, when things are too crazy in my life or things are are too messed up, that God just runs away and hides, that God would rather us get our stuff together and then come back to him. But in Genesis, we find a God who loves to dive into the mess and make something beautiful. And the Genesis poem ends in verse 31 and says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And then... It wasn't. God had made a perfect, ordered, peaceful world in Genesis 1 and 2. Man and God living together in perfect harmony. And then in Genesis 3, there's a serpent whose chief goal is to disrupt all of that. He wants to throw us back into the chaos. So the serpent approached the woman with forbidden fruit who gave it to the man. And when they ate, they were thrown back into a disruptive environment away from God. There was hurt. There was shame. There was hiding. There was a fractured relationship between the man and woman and God. And from the garden of Eden, we have seen that we have an enemy whose chief desire is to keep us in disunity with God and with each other. He constantly wants to disrupt our lives and rob us of peace and the right relationships we were created for. He wants to constantly offer us temptation to splinter every area and every relationship in our lives, especially our relationship with Yahweh God. And ever since the fall in the garden, 
there has been an ache in our hearts and a desire to get back to the way things were created to be. Our hearts desperately want to get back to Eden. You know, you can learn a lot about people from the things that they create. And as we continue in this series today of of what does God have to do with it? What are these names of God? What, What implications do they have for my life? We can learn a lot about how God operated from the very beginning. But one of the things, you know, I've learned a lot about my kids from the things that they create. My, my oldest son, Will, when he would go, and as he would say, he's eight, but as he would say, when I was a little kid, um, he would go into his, his toy buckets. And my wife has some pictures of, of some things that, that he would do. He wouldn't just get toys out and start battling with them or start like having a war, which is more the kind of thing that I used to do when I was a kid and more the personality of my second boy too. Instead of just kind of fighting with everything, he would actually go into his toys. He would go into these little buckets that we try to keep everything in. He would pull things out and order them. And so I remember this one particular time, like we have this, this bucket of all these plastic farm animals, cause that's what you do. And, um, he's in there and he, he pulls them out and, and there's like 15 of every animal in this bucket, you know? And, and so he's, he's putting them in patterns over and over again. It was like pig, donkey, horse, sheep, pig, donkey, horse, sheep, in this perfect order. And then the, there was something else that he did. And I, I forgot to look at the picture before this morning, but I, I, I remember this time where he's got out like blocks or, or matchbox cars or, or, or something. And, and he says, I need you to go get mom. I'm thinking, why do I need to go get mom to, to see your matchbox cars? And he, 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 so I went and got Angela and, and she comes back upstairs and he, he has arranged them in a particular way on the floor. And he stands up, and he's a little guy, he stands up and he looks over top of them and he says, look, mom, a flower. And he had ordered these cars in such a way and patterned the colors around them in such a way that I looked back and went, well, yeah, that's kind of what that is. Your dad couldn't have pulled that off. But what can we, we can learn so much. We learn a lot about our kids when they just get to draw a free form on paper without a, without a stencil or, or work with Play-Doh without some type of template or, or paint. They're just able to be free. And what can we learn about God from the creation poem? I think one of the things, one of the most important things we learn about our unchanging God that is still true about him today is that God likes to take circumstances that don't make any sense and make them beautiful. He likes to step in to the mess and disorder and make things whole again. I don't know where you are and what you would call your walk with God, your, your journey with God, your relationship with God, however you phrase that in your life. Maybe you feel like this morning, you know what? I'm just too messed up for God. I've just got too much junk in my life. And I want you to know that from the very beginning, what we learn about this God is he likes to take chaos and change it into something beautiful. He loves to order it. In Judges chapter six, Israel finds themselves in a period of oppressive and hurtful circumstances. They have been under constant attack from a group of people called the Midianites. And God approaches a man named Gideon, who we find working diligently to harvest a few crops in the middle of all the oppression 
around him. In the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of years of constant attack and war, when God approaches, Gideon's response is really interesting. He doesn't say, yes, I'm glad you're here. Instead, Gideon starts asking a bunch of questions. Judges chapter six, verse 12 says this. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And then Gideon, and I love this because it's like, he's so polite. Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replies, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Ever been there? Ever felt like that? Ever felt completely abandoned by God? Ever felt felt like the circumstances around you are so chaotic that there is no way you can see God in any of this. Maybe for some of you, you you walk into a church environment and and hopefully you find friendliness, not just from our our guest services group, but from from everybody and and, and you love the worship and it's engaging and, and you feel like God is present. And then initially it's a good thing. But then you, you begin to, to sit there and, and now maybe even I'm reminding you, you're welcome by the way, that your life is chaotic, that it's out of order, that it's disruptive. And you start to think about that thing that has interrupted your relationship with God. And you start asking questions like Gideon did. You start asking questions like, God, if you're so real, why have I been without a job for over a year? God, if, if, if you're so real, then why do I lay awake at night with all these worries about finances and, and family? God, if, if you're so real, then why do I feel unsettled? Why do I feel ab- abandoned by the people closest to me, by family, by friends? God, why do I feel like that there are people literally out to get me, talking about me, hurting me? God, God, listen, I'm glad for these hand raisers in this church that, you know, they just, and the singers, and they just feel like that, that things are good for them and that they feel close to you. But I want to be really honest with you, God, as far as I'm concerned, you're a million miles away. My life's a mess. And I know you're not anywhere close. So if you're God, how do you respond to this? I mean, if you're talking to Gideon, be like, you're going to doubt me? Okay, I'm going to the next person. I got the wrong guy. Let's, let's do somebody else for the story. But instead, God just answers him. Verse 14 of Judges 6, he turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Are you listening to me? I'm with you. Am I not sending you? And then Gideon, who once again is a very proper, polite gentleman, I've got like British comedies going through my head. Pardon me, my Lord. I love that. Sorry, it's random. Gideon replied, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon answers, I'm weak. I'm nothing. In fact, God in truth you're the one who's making me feel like this because you haven't been here. At least it doesn't feel like you've been here. There's a little more exchange back and forth between God and Gideon and Judges chapter six. 
And Gideon, who is referred to whatever he's talking to as Lord, as if there's a lot of respect here, or, or he knows the person that he's talking to, the being that he's talking to, represents God. But he still asks for a sign. And the Lord that's talking to Gideon asks him to prepare a meal. And so Gideon goes, he does what you do. He goes, he starts making some bread, he gets some meat, and he puts them out on a rock, like a table, like whoever he is there conversing with, they're about to share in a meal together. And as they're beginning to share in this meal, fire comes down and consumes the bread and the meat. And all of a sudden, Gideon realizes who he's been dealing with. And verse 22 of Judges 6 says this, When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And listen to God's response. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. The next blast of fire from the sky is not for you. That's a good thing. Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, and he called it Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom. Gideon is now going to lead Israel in a fight against a relentless enemy, an enemy that has thrown their world into chaos. And God doesn't say, take courage. God doesn't say, I'm strength, I'm power. Together, we're gonna go take these people out. I'm gonna do the fire thing again. It's gonna be really cool. Instead, God says, peace, peace. And Gideon responds with the name of God, Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. Because in that moment, before Gideon can go get victory, before he can fight, before there can be any order to the chaos, there has to first be peace. Now in English, when we think about the word peace, we just think about the absence of war. Maybe you think about sitting outside in a, in a peaceful environment, maybe by a, by a stream or out in the woods or, or at the beach or, or whatever it might be. But in Hebrew, in the Bible, the word peace is the word shalom and it's, it carries with it a whole lot more. It's not just the absence of something. Shalom can be translated well-being, healthiness, wholeness, completeness. A common Jewish greeting would be ma shalomka, meaning how is your peace? How are you doing? How is your well-being? You see, peace is the opposite of chaos. It's the opposite of disruption. It's the opposite of things being out of order. It's what God did in the garden. The spirit of God loves to step into the mess. He loves to, ho- to hover over the tumultuous waters of our life and seek to create something beautiful. He loves to rescue us from our worst circumstances, from our sins, from our hurts, and he loves to bring peace. And more than anything else, the idea of shalom, the idea of peace has with it being in right relationship with God. And before you can accomplish anything else, 
before you can settle the hurts in your life, before you can settle those things that are plaguing you, that are creating chaos, the things that you are dealing with every day, maybe the thing that you're thinking about right now in this moment, before you can attack, you have to have peace with God. You have to know the peace of God. Jehovah Shalom has been a starting point since the Garden of Eden. It's interesting how God got Gideon to this place. He asked him to prepare a meal. Now, we have a a pretty good idea of uh, the significance of preparing a meal of peace in the South, right? I mean, we love to eat. And when some of you, when you're eating, that you're at your most peaceful place. And that's, that's not just a coincidence. This idea of bringing a, a meal of peace, a, a meal of, of fellowship is hundreds and thousands of years old. And it's not just biblical. It, is, it has implications in cultures all over the world where people stop to signify that they're in a covenant relationship together. They stop to have a meal to say everything with you and I is as it should be. And when Gideon is first talking with the angel of the Lord, it's not like that. And so the angel says, let's eat. It's not just a biblical thing. It's throughout all the world. When we go to uh, Burkina Faso, they, are, they prepare in advance the meals that we're gonna eat. Right now, Connie Fields is there with the, the pastor's wife that she, she works with, Susanna, who, who works around the house and they're already buying ingredients and they're already preparing meals for a team that's leaving to go over there next week. And, and you know, it's, it's fun to, to be there, to be in a different culture and to eat and try different things. But I'm so thankful that Connie is there who has, this is gonna sound bad, but she's taught them how to cook American. And I'm grateful for that. And so when you go to Africa with us, cause you know, you're all going someday. When you go to Africa, there's a good chance you're gonna have like cinnamon rolls for breakfast. Oh, they're good too, man. You're gonna have some lasagna. There's, it's only French cheese. We can't bring American cheese. So forgive us for that, but it's good stuff. I mean, we go to Africa, we have taco night, man. I mean, it's awesome. But then you get out into the village and let me just warn you in advance for when you go, don't get too comfortable with any of the goats or chickens you see running around Um, because there's a very good chance that after a little bit of dialogue, after a little bit of getting to know each other, that you are going to be um, eating the chicken that you had just gotten attached to. And there's this thing over there, there's this, choice piece of meat in the meal that they constantly in in good natured fun they constantly try to make us eat we've tried to get Brian Beloy to eat this a thousand times and here it is the valued piece of meat they take the feet from said chicken and they shove it through the mouth of the head of the bird and so yeah it's good stuff and so uh, this is where the phrase eat more chicken comes from and as they're later as you're ladling in there, it's finger looking good, by the way. As you're, this could get worse, sorry. I mean, every once in a while, as, as the ladle goes in, I see that and I, well, I'm not gonna eat that, Brian. Here, that's for you. And, uh, and so, because once it's on your plate, you have to eat it. That's kind of the rule. But they laugh about it, they joke about it, and they don't eat it until after we've had this little back and forth because they're trying to make the point that because of the relationship that we have together, having a meal of peace. We're in right relationship together. When we go to Cuba, man, I'll tell you what, we'll make you hungry after the chicken head thing. It's going to get better. Rice, beans, plantain, all the great things. And the women, they love to make spaghetti for us. 
The only challenge in Cuba with spaghetti is that um, because of our friend Fidel over there, um, there's no uh, like prego sauce in the stores. So think more ketchup based spaghetti sauce. And um, I always try to get just a little, but they're so proud of their sauce. They always bring it on. So it's like, you know, and I'm going, no, no more sauce, please, please. But here's the thing. The women there, they love to spend all day in the kitchen. And people don't know this about Cuba, but a lot like third world Africa, they're living on a dollar or $2 a day. They're so close to us yet they're so far. And they give everything they've got to this meal because they're trying to say, we want to be in right relationship. And because we're in right relationship with you, we sit and we enjoy this together. In the Old Testament, God establishes sacrifices to help keep his people in right relationship with him. And some of them actually have a participatory element in them. They're actually meals. Author Lois Torberg says it like this throughout the Old Testament. This ceremony of eating and drinking in God's presence is reenacted through what's called the fellowship offering, literally a peace offering, a shalom offering. A family would bring an animal to sacrifice to the temple and the meat would be eaten by the family and the priest, who of course stands in the place of God, with the best portions burned as an offering to the Lord. They saw this as true covenantal communion with God, that they could sit down at a meal with him. If he was truly present at the table with them, it was as if he was truly present with them at the table as they ate. And in Deuteronomy 14, where the instructions for this fellowship offering are laid out, God even tells them to save up a tenth of their money each year and bring it to the temple, not so we can just have a little meal together, but so that we can have a true fellowship party together. This helps us understand even why we give on Sundays. Bringing the gift of resources to God was, was always been, for thousands of years, has been part of having this meal of peace to signify that you are in right relationship with him. Passover is an example of one of these meals. And when Jesus built upon the tradition of Passover and gave us the Lord's Supper, it signifies that we are in right relationship with God and with each other. In fact, the instructions for Passover tell us to make sure that you don't eat from the Lord's table unless you are in right relationship with God and in right relationship with everyone around you. God says this, look, Gideon, listen. Before we can bring peace to any of the chaos in our lives, you and I have to be right. Before there can be beauty and creation and victory over the things disrupting you, things have to be right between us. And the enemy works constantly to prevent you from knowing God as Jehovah Shalom. Because from peace would come the courage that Gideon needs. From, from peace comes the courage that you and I need. From a place of peace comes the ability to overcome hurts and habits and hangups that tear us down. From a place of peace comes the ability to love others fully. Some of you, the reason why you, you don't go on regular dates with your wife is not because, not because you don't have time or it's because there literally is not peace in your marriage. But when there is peace in your marriage and you go out together, what's one of the first things you do when you go out on a date? You go and you share a meal. Always eat before the movie, it's so important. You go and you share a meal. 
and you're entering into thousands of years of covenant relationship to say, everything is gonna be fine between you and I. We have to start off with a place of peace before we can get to a place of love and encouragement and strength. A lot of you are gonna go on family vacations and rent condos at beach houses and things all over, all over the country. And don't you all have that one crazy aunt that likes to spend all day in the kitchen? You can't get her down to the beach. You can't get her down to the pool. And what, what maybe you need to realize about her is as she is meal planning throughout the entire week, she is entering into an ancient covenant that is born inside of all of us to say, I just want everything to be right with our family. Because I know that when we sit down at the table together, that we're starting from a place of peace. We may have disagreements on everything else going on in our family. We may have disagreements with how we're handling this issue and that issue. But when we sit down together and start at a place of peace, we can, we can then navigate all of these issues. So let me ask you a question. How is your peace? How is your peace? Let me ask it this way. Who are you not eating with? Who are you not inviting over to the cookout? Because you cannot have peace with God if you don't have peace with others. If we as Christ followers are supposed to introduce people to God so that they might have salvation and peace in their lives and be in right relationship with him, we have to have peace. We have to know God as Jehovah Shalom. And since the garden, the enemy has constantly worked to create chaos in our lives. He's constantly worked to take things away from us that were formerly beautiful parts of our lives, formerly beautiful relationships and create disunity, formerly beautiful circumstances. And he loves to create anger, fear, worry, bitterness, all characteristics of a life without peace, all characteristics of a life that is formless and empty and full of chaos. But in our relationship with God, God has established through hundreds of years, through thousands of years, through these covenants, through sacrifices, through all these other things, he continues on to say, I will never stop pursuing you. God keeps coming back, renewing his promises. And though the enemy keeps attacking, God keeps coming to us. And he says things like this to help us understand them better. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Partake in this life with me, eat with me. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. You say, okay, how do I do that? How can I be in covenant relationship with God? How can I eat with God every day? Does, Does the scriptures tell us truly not just talk about it, but do they tell us how to have peace with God? How can I have the shalom of God in every area of our lives? Well, there's lots of things we could look at, but this morning I just want us to look at one quick passage as we, as we head towards some more worship here in just a moment. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter four, he says this, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and listen to this, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your minds and your hearts in Christ Jesus. What are you worried about today? What's creating trouble in your life? What's creating chaos in your life? 
What's creating disorder in your life? I ask you a question. It's very, very simple. When those thoughts come in, when those chaotic thoughts come in, have you laid them before God? Have you just started simply by praying over those things? It's so simple, isn't it? But the enemy makes prayer so difficult. He challenges us to make us think it's so confusing. But if you've talked today, if you've had a thought in your mind today, then you can pray. And whatever is going on, as you pray before God, God sets this hedge of protection around you and he gives you his peace. I have prayed for that peace. I've prayed for the peace of God to guard the minds and the hearts of my boys in Christ Jesus hundreds and hundreds of times because I know they're gonna need it and I need it every single day. If you wanna have peace with God, it starts off very simple. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you talked to him? I mean, when's the last time you took that worry and instead of saying, good grief, God, why? Instead of saying that, why don't you say, God, why? And I'm going to give this to you until we figure it out. And I know that as you have it under control, I can have peace. There will always be trouble. But God can always give us peace in the middle of that. The Apostle Paul continues on. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. The enemy loves to attack our minds with the opposite of everything that Paul just mentioned. He loves to fill us with impure thoughts. He loves to attack our self-esteem, our self-worth. He loves to give us critical spirits. He loves it when we get cynical. He loves it when we attack people around us, when we doubt people around us. He loves to create disunity and doubt with, with others in our relationships and doubt in our relationship with God. And the apostle Paul says this, discipline your mind and dwell on what you know about God from his word. But now listen, this is not just think happy thoughts. This is not just sprinkle a little pixie dust on all the troubles of your life and you'll have peace. But rather the apostle Paul says, you start with prayer and then you go to the words of God. You go to the scriptures and you take them and know them, just begin to know them just a little bit and start to apply those things to your life. Treat this word seriously and you will know God's peace. Focus on the things that he has given us. Listen, many people don't know the peace of God because prayer scares them and the Bible intimidates them. The enemy works to disrupt those two things more than anything else because they unlock Jehovah Shalom, the peace of God in your life. We go back to these things over and over and over again. Little bit of prayer, little bit of time in his word over and over and over again because listen, little bits over time bring order bring peace. And from that comes strength and courage and victory. Today, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of worry, panic, disruption, broken dreams, fractured relationships, God wants you to know him as Jehovah Shalom. He's not gonna run from your problems and he doesn't want you to hide them from him or to attempt to. 
but he wants you to engage him in prayer. And he will answer you back sometimes through that still small voice or he will answer you back through the power of his word. One last verse in closing, Isaiah chapter 48 says this. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If you pay attention to my commands, your peace would be like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. This passage, he's challenging Israel at a time where they got away from him. He says, if you would only have listened to me, peace would be like a river. And today God calls out and he gives us this picture in our minds, of this water that can flow over every area of our lives because that's what shalom is. It's wholeness, it's healthiness, it's order in every single area. Your whole being, for that we use the word soul. And so today, for you to truly know what it is to have wellness and wholeness in your soul, I challenge you to begin at the beginning, all the way back to the garden, to a God who is bringing order from chaos and know him as Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Let's pray together. Some of you today, you don't know the peace of God because you don't have peace with God. And I wanna give you the opportunity in this moment to enter into a personal relationship with God so that you can have peace with him that extends throughout all eternity and then you can unlock the peace of God in your everyday life. God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you, to be that final sacrifice to make the relationship right with him. Today, if you're here and you've never taken part in that sacrifice, then I wanna invite you in this moment to say to him, God, I don't understand it all, but I know that you sent Jesus for me. I know that he has died on the cross for my sins. I know that he is risen from the dead and I wanna participate in that life. I wanna be right with you today and into eternity. God, come into my life and teach me to know you more. Today, if you're reaching that starting point, starting a personal relationship with God, would you let us know at the end of the service by taking the connection card that you have and and take it to the help center out there and let them know about the decision that you made. We wanna help you get started right. The rest of us in here this morning, most of you are here almost every week. And you walk in here and there's areas of your life over and over again where you don't have peace with God. You don't have the peace of God in your life. I wanna invite you in this moment in your chair just to lay it down before him, to take the worries and cast them aside and to go to God in prayer and say, God, I give it to you. 
going to have to do this probably again and again because this disruption has been in my life for a long time. But God, I know that one day soon, as I give this to you, you will give me peace and you will give me victory. Today, just whatever it is, maybe it's for a family member, you want to pray that they would know God's peace. Maybe it's for your marriage, you want to pray that there would be God's peace there. Maybe it's for your kids. Maybe it's for your job. Maybe it's for your finances. Whatever it is, wherever you find chaos, God wants to help you find peace so that we can truly say as well with our souls. God, thank you so much that you never quit on us. You never stop trying to bring peace. God, today, may we find your shalom, your wholeness, your wellness, the very innermost parts of our lives. We pray and we worship you now in Jesus' name.